Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? It's the Vish Kumaran Show. I'm joined here by my good buddy, 49ers Web Zone's own Rohan. Uh, he and I were supposed to do a dual stream where he sent me the link, but unfortunately, we were having some technical difficulties, so we had to call a quick audible and have some quick thinking and do the dual stream this way. Uh, Rohan, I'm really excited to have you. It's been a couple weeks since you and I have talked 49ers. No, definitely. And I mean, it's coming at a good time. You know, the the team just had a, a dominant victory and it's a good amount to break down and a good amount to look forward to in week two as well. Yeah, 100%. One thing I enjoy about streaming with you is my background's always a point to conversation in my streams. People always seem to say that I don't have enough decorations. I'm streaming in Raiders colors, this, that, yada, yada, yada. Raiders colors. It's nice to see that you have joined me in the blank wall dorm room background. Now, the difference between me and you is that I'm no longer in college, so I don't have an excuse for my this wall is my background. Where we have moved in and not much is uh you know, not much is ready yet. So that is why the blank and wall I Whatever it is, I appreciate the fact that somebody else is willing to put their wall naked um for all of America or not America for the few percentage of America that watches you and I stream. <laughs> Somebody is willing to do that with me. So I appreciate you for doing that. Um, of course, I don't think anybody's here to listen to us talk about how our blank our walls are, our lack of decorations. They're here for us to talk about Niners. Um, so let's get into it. I just kind of want to, I know we're two days removed from the Pittsburgh game. I think a lot of people are still watching the highlights. I know I am. It was such an electric win. Uh, but kind of, I just wanted to get some of your brief thoughts on the game before we push past it. Maybe some thoughts on some of Shanahan's comments today, particularly on the corner position. A little bit of talk about Brock Purdy, a little bit of Brandon Ayuk, Offensive Player of the Week, and then let's finish it up with some 49ers rant. So let's start with the Steelers. 
What did you think yeah. of the game? Anything that stood out to you? Let's start there. I, I think when you when you look at the Steelers in this game, I mean the early dominance was really the the most important takeaway. 49ers, you know, a lot of people call them, you know, uh, second half team, both in games and in the regular season in general. So to see them, you know, put out the way that they put out in this week, it was uh, it was a pleasant sight. You talk about five, three and outs, one of them being an interception. You talk about four consecutive scoring drives to begin the, you know, to begin the game. It's 20 to zero to start this game. That's just a, a great way to start for the 49ers um, in the, in this one. And I think that that was, in my opinion, the most important takeaway. I honestly thought up until the last part of that drive, it was one of the cleanest halves we've seen Kyle Shanahan call and the 49ers execute in that first half. Now, second half, you know, uh, the gas pedal was taken off a little bit, not as clean, but still a fine half. And they end up winning 30 to seven, but if the 49ers can start as fast as they can here, that's a huge benefit because they're already a strong team. But when you start that fast, you force the other team's hand and that creates more missed opportunities and more aggressiveness. And that leads to, you know, mistakes for the other team. And we saw a few of those from Kenny Pickett. Yeah, I think the starting fast is such a good point, especially when you look at the 49ers. They're such a good team from playing ahead. When they're allowed to play from ahead, Shanahan kind of is able to dictate what defenses do because the run game is always an option. And when the run game is an option for the 49ers offense, it opens up play action. It opens up Shanahan's creativity with all the misdirection. And that's when they really make defenses work because they don't know what's coming and everybody looks the same. In turn, it also really helps the 49ers defense which when they don't have to worry about the run while they're getting to the quarterback and they're just allowed to go get after the quarterback, they can close games and close games really fast. I think back to John Lynch in 2019 when they acquired D Ford, one of the things that they really said was that they really wanted to start they wanted to find guys that could close games. And if you looked at 2018 D Ford on the Chiefs, the one thing him and Chris Jones did for that football team, which was terrible on defense, was they closed games. And I think that that's what the 49ers acquired when they got D Ford. That's what they acquired when they drafted Nick Bosa. And ultimately, Rohan, I think that that's what ended up happening. Um, that's what ends up happening when they're able to start quickly. They are so good from playing ahead um, that I think that when they start fast and they're able to jump on teams, it turns into what the Steelers game turned into because their defense is very, very hard to play catch up on unless your name is Patrick Mahomes. And their offense, when playing ahead, Shanahan's able to create so many different advantages where all really the quarterback has to do is execute. And if he does that, the 49ers offense is usually clicking on all cylinders. No, I agree. And I mean, when you talk about, you know, playing ahead and it, what it means for both sides, you saw how comfortable both sides are. And the good part is at some point, you know, the 49ers will make a mistake on one, one side or another. And in a way, when those minimal mistakes occur, they don't impact you as hard. Whereas sometimes, you know, when we talked about last year with the 49ers, be it an issue with discipline or penalties or something, it used to be bad on top of bad on top of bad. And when you start behind, that's where it really starts to kill you. And that's where you start to dig yourself into a hole that you have to now climb out of this way. If, you know, some of those uh, some of those plays start to spiral out of your favor, you still have a comfortable lead and the 49ers still have good momentum going into that game. And so that's why, you know, a game like this, it's not only resounding to see it in week one, but it's also important that it came in a road environment where, 
you're, you know, you're bringing Brock Purdy back for his first regular season matchup where, you know, he's coming off somewhat of a pitch count the last two weeks. He comes into this game, looks totally fine. You, you're, you're seeing every, all the elements click. And that's something we didn't necessarily see a lot of, especially at the beginning of the year where you see everything click from the run game from you know the run game run blocking to the pass game with Purdy connecting with the receivers there weren't many there wasn't drops you know and it you you created those explosive plays both offensively and defensively so Shanahan's best friend Chris Sims actually had some insight onto this on PFT live a couple days ago I heard him talk about Shanahan week one and I've been one person that's really pointed out the history of Kyle Shanahan over 15 years as the play caller and how his offenses have historically not done well in week one, unlike last week. And he said that Shanahan, unlike other coaches, doesn't like week one because it gives he, he's unable to predict what defenses are doing to him. And part what makes Shanahan so good is he's able to understand how defenses are trying to defend his offense, and then he's able to put them in precarious situations where they're unable to defend his offense. It's difficult to do that in week one when you're not 100% sure how the other team is going to play you. Why do I think that's really important when we look at the Steelers game? And I don't want to spend a lot more time there. I think it's important because we didn't see anything out of the realm of, hey, the Niners had this plan for this defense and they really, really screwed them up. They just ran their offense. They just played their defense and they were just so clinical executing their offense from a standpoint of everybody was assignment sound outside of well, maybe the right tackle a couple of times and the right guard a couple of times. But and and then also. Everybody was assignment sound. And then also they were just so clinical that Shanahan didn't really call anything that like really screwed up the Steelers. It was just they called their offense and every play just worked. And it was a natural sequencing. And they demoralized the Steelers because it looked like the Steelers were getting what they were expecting. And they couldn't stop it because the Niners were just so good at running their bread and butter offense. And that's a scary sight because as the weeks go on, Shanahan's going to really see how teams are defending them. And that's when we get away from, hey, this is who they are on offense. It will still be that because philosophically that's who they are. But we'll see a lot more game plan specific plays where they screw up a lot of defenses and create a lot of advantages. So to me, it's very dangerous that they look this good in week one when, you know, they just kind of ran their offense. There wasn't any, I don't want to say there wasn't anything special because there was a lot of things special. They just didn't do anything out of the ordinary for themselves. They just ran what they usually run and there was no answer to it because they were so good at that. And that's scary. And that represents how good Purdy executed and then how good Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel and Brendan Ayuk are. No, definitely. And I mean, I forget who said it. It was either Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. And I believe it was in the play callers podcast uh, a while back, but they go into, they go into weeks thinking that their game plan, like they go into weeks believing a team is going to play defense as they do. And because they believe, you know, because of what they expect from a defense, they automatically assume that they can win based on what their game plan proves. It's not like the Steelers were completely abominable on defense or anything like that. They played the regular defense, but it's astounding to see how like a team like the 49ers, you know, understanding what uh, what an opposing team game plan is, especially Mike Tomlin's game plan, you're able to go there and you're able to execute just your regular offense and have it work to perfection like it did. I know Kyle Shanahan in the past, you know, he's probably not been as happy with some of their execution efforts because when you don't, you know, this is an effort where you saw, at least in the first half, the product go out as you want it. And when the product goes as you want it, the 49ers are scoring at will. It's just in the past, you haven't necessarily seen that 
And that's why we go back to it and say, you know, this is a great sign that it's clicking in week one. I agree. Let's put the Steelers game to bed. I think we've discussed that enough. Brandon Ayuk just won Offensive Player of the Week. And I felt like we've had so many moments since Brandon Ayuk's rookie season that we've just been waiting for him to explode. And it all felt a little premature because we were able to see the actual journey of the player the last two years. Go from the doghouse to slowly building his confidence back up. Then last year, we saw his confidence really, really grow and him get very consistent over the course of 17 games. And this year, it feels like his confidence matches what we all knew he had in terms of talent. And we're seeing a guy go from, we're seeing a guy fully realize how good he is. And that confidence is now making him look like one of the five or 10 best receivers in football. Now he was rewarded with the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. He caught all eight of his targets. He caught two touchdowns. He broke Patrick Peterson's ankles. He mossed Patrick Peterson. What do you think about Brandon Ayuk's ascension? And what do you think of the Niners' weapons overall? Because to me, the Christian McCaffrey I saw week one, if the Niners are the one seed, that's the the guy that's going to win the MVP of football to me. And Debo Samuel, I know that he was a third option in that game because of how good Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey looked, but I thought Debo Samuel looked really, really, really good. So how? what did you think, obviously, about Ayuk's ascension, and then what do you think of the Niners' weapons overall as we project how good this offense can be moving forward for the next 16 years? The Ayuk storyline has been like definitely one to watch. And my main gripe coming out of last year with Brandon Ayuk was – can he consistently make the big play? His route running is impeccable. That leads to wide open opportunities that he's easily able to convert. His hands are also pretty darn good. But when it came to the big play, sometimes, you know, on those back shoulder throws that they that Garoppolo or Purdy even at times would throw to him where he'd have to contort his body, it's a very difficult catch, but you'd hope that he'd come down with. Sometimes he didn't. And that's why I was really excited when you saw the, you know, the, the back shoulder throw uh, on the go ball in the end zone to Patrick Peterson for that second touchdown, him being able to make that type of play, it showcases the big play potential that Brandon Ayuk has. Now it's going to require some more consistency, but he's slowly and slowly reaching into that upper echelon of receivers in the NFL and cementing himself as a guy who's going to get a good amount of money this off season, because when you have that complete package, especially in this offense where, you know, he also has the will to block the way that he does, which is a perfect fit for not only the offense, but also the culture. I think you, you're you're finding a guy who has found his home here, but also is developing into a very, very strong receiver. And that's why people are starting to realize, or not realize, but starting to believe that he might be better than Debo Samuel as a true receiver. You know, he might be that wide receiver one. And I, I do want to say this as well, because I know when Trey Lance was moved or really when Trey Lance, it was clear he wasn't going to win the job at all this, this offseason. Many were like thinking Brandon Ayuk may not have that year again, because you don't know what Brock Purdy is going to be able to do with a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who many characterize as a deep threat. Brandon Ayuk's not just a deep threat. He proves that he can win at, in multiple different ways, intermediate routes, crossing routes, slants, and also the deep ball. Brand, uh, you know, Brock Purdy's got the confidence to throw it. I think that that's that's a good sign for him. All right. So first, let's start with the last thing you said. The narrative that Trey Lance was somehow going to elevate Brandon Ayuk to me was just 
bogus compared to Brock Purdy. It, they, I don't understand how a stronger arm makes Brandon Ayuk a better receiver. Ayuk's issues with not getting the ball had to do more with him and Jimmy Garoppolo just didn't seem to have the chemistry. But you saw even at the end of last year, him and Brock Purdy had a different level of chemistry. With Ayuk, it was more about operating on his timing rather than it was about, hey, the quarterback didn't have a strong enough arm to deliver him the ball, okay? I, I never understood that one. But to me, where Ayuk has really, really gone to another level, you talked about the blocking. The blocking is unbelievable. I mean, this is a guy that's coming in and sealing the backside edge against defensive ends and doing stuff like that. Right. Like, he's really gritty. He wants to get it done. You saw We saw the pancake of Levi Wallace. But there's two things to me that have really emerged, and to me, both are tied directly to his confidence. One, his confidence in general, right? Mentally, you can see Ayuk really owns the fact that he thinks there's nobody that can guard him. I didn't get that vibe from him two or three years ago. In fact, I questioned if he would be a number one receiver because to me, part of being a number one receiver is having that persona. And whatever you want to say about Debo Samuel, he owns that persona. Every minute he's on the football field, you can feel Debo's confidence and you can feel how infectious that is. I mean, watch Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. You feel that. You're feeling that now with Brandon Ayuk. Like you can feel Brandon's Brandon Ayuk's confidence is palpable off the TV screen. Nobody needs to know anything about football to see that number 11 really thinks he's that guy. And when receivers really think they're that guy, that's really dangerous because that's half the battle, in my opinion. The other thing with Ayuk is I think he's just gotten so comfortable in his athleticism, right? We always right. knew he had really oily hips where he could change direction without losing speed, speed, very, very smooth athlete in and out of his breaks. But to me, Ayuk has become such a powerful and explosive and urgent mover. Now you, it, the way he uses his fakes, they're not dramatic. They're not set up, but he sets up his routes. They're very, very efficient. And he's really, really strong at his spots. And he's really strong about getting to his spots. Nobody's going to move Brandon Ayuk off of his spots. He runs his routes with great urgency to get where he needs to be on time and on schedule. And Shanahan talked about that with their landmarks. To me, it's not just him hitting his landmarks, but the urgency and power that he hits his landmarks with. You can trust throwing the ball anywhere to Brandon Ayuk because Brandon Ayuk really owns his space. And that's something Debo Samuel also does very, very well. But to me, that was maybe one thing that was missing from Ayuk at times earlier in his career. And now that you have this confidence in the player, he's now had one big performance. I think all it's going to take, you let Brandon Ayuk get another big game and another big game. If you, that confidence really goes, I think we're going to see a top five receiver in football this year. I really do. It's going to be the kind of season Debo Samuel had in 2021. And I think Debo is going to have a really good year. But for Ayuk, it's just about... You let him get confident. You let him actually produce as much as he thinks he can. Oh, my God. Because everything that's been missing from Ayuk is that he's just been an underdog his entire life. And now that he's getting off the ball, he's being stronger, he's playing with an urgency, and he really, really owns his space. And you can see him as an athlete be so confident. To me, it's just, oh, if he gets a couple more games, he could, it's it could be an explosion, like not unlike even anybody expected. It could be to the point where we're talking about 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 yards. And if you had that kind of receiver with Christian McCaffrey and Debo in this offense, we're talking about a top two offense in football. No, I, I mean, I agree. And that's the scary part. We're talking about Brandon Ayuk, but then you have a guy who might be the team's offensive MVP in Christian McCaffrey who 
I mean, he, I think he had the most yards he's had in a 49er uniform with 152 on the ground. He's a guy who can create on his own. A 66-yard touchdown. It's plays like this. Essentially, when it comes to this 49ers offense, the way you execute is not only by having, you know, play after play of routine crispness, not only with the, with the receiver or with the running back, but it's also the, the ability to make these explosive plays. And you're now creating more opportunities with the, with the way that these guys operate on top of how Kyle Shanahan calls games to create those explosive plays where you don't have to rely on 10, 15 play drives in order to score. That's why this 49ers offense is becoming more dominant. And that's why even though Brock Purdy may have arm limitations, it's still good enough to where you can make sure that those explosive plays still come together and you can score 25, 30 points a game or even more. Right, and Brock Purdy is showing us that a little higher level of execution than Jimmy Garoppolo, a little bit more efficiency, and this offense with these weapons and all of that is unstoppable. Jimmy Garoppolo in some ways played very, very well last year with Christian McCaffrey. He really did, but it did not ever look this easy, and it didn't ever operate with this efficiency, and that's just the higher level of Brock Purdy, one, with his decision-making, processing, and poise. I think he's just... The game's a little slower for him than it is for Jimmy Garoppolo, which is kind of weird to say, given how much more football in the NFL Jimmy Garoppolo has played. Two, his athleticism and his ability to not only be athletic and escape pressure, but he also has that creative knack to actually make plays off schedule. Not everybody has that, but he's able to create opportunities to create explosive plays by passing off schedule which I think, two really helps their offense. And then it's three, he just creates space better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He uses his eyes a little bit better than Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of creating space to create yak opportunities. Sometimes he can be a little bit inaccurate with his ball placement, but because he creates higher margin of errors for his throws, it creates more space. And, and yeah, we're seeing that. To me, this is the way they... I didn't have a question about whether they had were going to be a top five offense. I thought they would be somewhere near there. But I didn't expect them to start this quickly. And now right. when they start this quickly, I think they can be a top two offense. And that's no, that I, to me is different. That's, that's, and that's that, yeah. exactly it. I do want to give a shout out though, because you did point it out at the beginning. We talk about Brandon Ayuk, we talk about Christian McCaffrey. Debo Samuel looks rejuvenated. He looks like his. You might not look at the numbers, five catches, 55 yards. Sure, that might be pedestrians, right? But Debo Samuel catches too. He looks pretty darn good right now. And I mean, having him as a tertiary option, we didn't even talk about George Kittle, right? Having him as a tertiary option that could elevate to the top guy in, in certain weeks or even, you know, fill his role in different weeks. I mean, the way that he looks, I thought was pretty solid too. Oh, 100%. Debo looks like a guy that can carry the offense in weeks that they need him to carry the offense. Last week, they didn't need him to carry the offense, but there will be weeks that Debo Samuel's skill set is what they need to carry them. And the fact that they have three different guys who've shown that they can carry the offense. And then, of course, George Kittle maybe isn't as good as he was two or three years ago, but he can still turn back the clock when he needs to and have a huge, huge game. So the fact that they have all of that and they have a quarterback who's actually operating the offense and doing all the real basic stuff at a high level, I mean, yeah, the, it's it's a scary sight. And the play caller is un, obviously unbelievable. And when he's that when he's that good and locked in, it's very very difficult to stop this offense. No, definitely. That's a lot of talk on the offense. Offense obviously flourished. 
the defense also did. I mean, you had five straight three and outs. You had a turnover uh, created early, another turnover created later. But there is one position where I think that there's a little bit of talk that we alluded to earlier, and that's cornerback. The 49ers have two strong cornerbacks, right? Traverius Ward, they've trusty Amador Lenore. That third spot, though, had a little bit of fluctuation. Ambry Thomas was pulled, also was in the concussion protocol for a little bit. Talk to me about, you know, that third cornerback spot. And I know you had reservations early prior to the season. Talk to me about that spot. Yeah, so we talked about this, I think, maybe two weeks ago, so a week before the season. And I was always big on Diamondor Lenore playing nickel. And then you go watch that game. And look, I haven't gotten through all the film. I've watched some of the 49ers defense. I'm going to do the rest of it probably like way later tonight. Um, but I noticed Shanahan's comments. You pointed them out to me. I actually didn't read them until five minutes before the show. But I saw that he said, basically, if you watch the film, you'll know what happened with Ambry Thomas. And I mean... Even in the first half, there were a couple of missed assignments that I saw. Now I need to get through the rest of it, so I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what the missed assignments were and why and everything like that. But I'm guessing that there's a couple more on why they brought in uh, Isaiah Oliver, inserted him in the slot, and moved Diamador Lenore back outside. Overall, I Oliver, to me, by the end of the game, played fine again I'll go back and watch it I, I I will tonight and maybe tomorrow when I come on with Jesse and Larry I'll give you a much stronger opinion on how I thought those guys looked I'm not a big Oliver guy but I do think there's a question mark on this football team because I think there's only two really solid corners that they trust and there's then a mismatch of guys who could perhaps play well in the right situation in the right role but there's nobody you can fully trust and the Niners really have two options right now they hope they go with Oliver or Thomas and they stick with them and they hope that they really, really step up. Lenore did that for them last year when they went with Lenore, Mosley, and Ward. Lenore played phenomenal. Or they just hope that nobody gets hurt and that their defensive line plays so well that they're able to cover up that other side corner because Len or the slot corner because Lenore and Ward are playing at a high level. It's not a great position to be in, but hey, when you're this good and you're this good of a team, you can have a situation where perhaps you have a question mark on the right side of your offensive line. Perhaps there's a corner spot that's not great, but definitely it's not something I'm fully committed to saying that one, I didn't watch the full game. So I, I don't want to, I didn't watch the full game on film. So I don't want to make any premature comments, but two, and more importantly, I, it is a position that I've pointed out basically from the beginning of the off season right. that, Hey, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Cause I feel like the team only has two, really competent players at corner. And I do want to give you your props because there is a, uh, I remember when we when we had our show during training camp, when I was there, we talked about the nickel position when we went through our positional breakdown and I was just reporting what I had seen thus far. And what I had seen was that at the nickel position, there was only one player earning a lot of snaps. And that was Isaiah Oliver. Vicious prediction, though, was that Isaiah Oliver would not be the week one nickel corner. He was not that confident in Isaiah Oliver. Obviously, not having been there, but he was not that confident in Isaiah Oliver. 
Later that week, Steve Wilkes and Kyle Shanahan revoke what they had said earlier in the offseason, say that the position is up for grabs, and then in the practices that weren't open to the media, you start seeing Diamond Lenore slide into the nickel. And right now, I think there's more so just battling who are their top three guys because that's essentially where they're going to end up playing Lenore. If they believe Oliver is right. just more consistent than Ambry Thomas, Lenore is going to play on the outside because they trust him to play either spot. If they like Ambry Thomas... They obviously value Lenore's ability on the inside and also believe he can take on the nickel responsibilities because some of the nickel responsibilities, when you see in the first half that the 49ers were alluding to in terms of that dual nickel role, Lenore took on a tight end in the in, in, on a red zone play where um, Talano Hufunga came out and uh, knocked down or pretty much gave Pat Fryermuth the hit to the chest. Lenore took on some of those plays. And I mean, he was going up against bigger receivers. He was going up against tight ends on certain plays in the nickel. And then obviously got booted out to the outside when Isaiah Oliver came back. And so I think Lenore is capable of doing one role or the other. And he's, his body at least uh, can hold up in that nickel slot. But right now, I'm not I'm not a big fan of rotations in the game. I think that that mixes up messes up chemistry and it also puts a little more of an onus in terms of pressure on that certain player who's who's getting rotated in and out, but the 49ers do need to figure out who that third cornerback is sooner than later because that's the side that, you know, they're going to get targeted a lot more. I was surprised that wasn't as much early in the game. Yeah, I agree and I think you summed it up perfectly. There's only two guys they trust right now. And I think that that's more important than necessarily even decided with one of these guys becoming decidedly good. Because let's face it, Isaiah Oliver is kind of who he is. Ambry Thomas is kind of who he is. But if the Niners can trust one of those guys to do their job, then schematically there's things you can do to help them. And I think that's kind of what's concerning right now. It's not so much that, hey, they don't have the most talent at the position. It's that they, it's that, they don't have the greatest talent at the position, but they seem to only trust two guys right now. And the nice thing is they have 16 games to figure out who they trust there. But I think at some point they're, we're going to have to hope that they have three corners they can trust. Now there's always $41 million of cap space and a coming trade deadline for all. We criticize the 49ers for bad trades, bad, this bad, that they've been excellent at trading in the middle of the season. That's how they got Emmanuel Sanders, Jordan Willis. That was a good trade for a seventh-round pick. Charles Amenehu was a very good trade. So they've done a – Christian McCaffrey, of course. So they've done a very good job trading in the middle of the season. Um, that could present itself to being an option now. I, I would probably have to look at the market before I tell you what names I would like or what's going on there. But worst case, that could present itself to be an option if one of these guys don't gain the trust of this coaching staff and perhaps one will it's it's only you know one week into the season you know by next week or week three they gave Isaiah Oliver some guaranteed money maybe he presents himself and shows that he's the nickelback that they believe they were getting when they signed him I do want to ask you a question yeah I just realized I do want to ask you a question though on the way the 49ers game plan do you think that their game plan should involve kind of be suited to that third guy to try and play to their strengths, understanding the trust they have in the other two corners, or they should continue to implement the similar game plan and see who fits best in what they currently well, are doing. The thing is, the thing is the Niners kind of do what they do on defense. And that's, I, I've been, I said it when Salah replaced or D'Amico replaced Salah. I said it when Wilkes replaced 
D'Amico, everybody was like, oh, they're going to blitz. Said the same thing when D'Amico replaced Salah. Remember, they're going to blitz. They're going to blitz. They're going to blitz. They do what they do on defense. It's not Salah's defense. Well, it is kind of Salah's defense. It's kind of D'Amico's defense. It's kind of Steve Wilkes' defense too, but it's envisioned by Kyle Shanahan, who's the one who made this wide nine adjustment. Not Salah, not D'Amico, not them. It's envisioned by John Lynch, who played in a similar scheme or the parent scheme from where this scheme originated in that Tampa 2 defense, and they were committed to a scheme and philosophy. So there's going to always remain same on defense with the Niners. They're going to rush four, and they're going to play three deep and quarters behind it. That philosophy is always going to remain. I think it's less about, hey, this guy dictates a game plan. It's more about, can we trust this guy to execute what we do on defense? And if they can reach the point that they trust one of those guys, well, yeah. No, I, I think that that's, yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, when you look at what the 49ers have done, you're right. They kind of, they have their philosophy and see how they can integrate players into their philosophy. And that's where certain players fit better than others. And that's where, you know, a guy like Ambry Thomas or even Samuel Womack, a name we haven't talked about, um, that's where the hope was, you know, a little more this year, where while the 49ers created a very similar um, approach, you know, maybe with a little more blitz-heavy Steve Wilkes that requires more man coverage, more press coverage, putting guys in some of their stronger suits. And I did notice a little bit, you saw a little more blitzing early on from Steve Wilkes. I think that mm -hmm. cooled off a little bit later on. And so I'm I'm curious to see maybe in a closer game, does the cooling off period and the blitzing in the second half kind of continue or do they blitz at the same regularity, albeit in different looks to try and, uh, you know, confuse defenses or sorry. I think it's interesting because they've always been aggressive on third down with both D'Amico and Salah as well. And I think they will be, maybe that's a little bit more diverse with Steve Wilkes on how they do it because he's maybe going to be less like D'Amico in the sim pressure game on third down and bring more linebacker blitzes and stuff like that, mm -hmm. because that's the kind of stuff he's done in the past. So I do think there will be differences to the defense, but I doubt you're going to see them philosophically be like, for example, like the Fred Warner play. I don't think they were run. I don't think they were run blitzing. If I remember correctly, I'll have to go back and watch it, but it's just, he sees it and he goes and hits and he fitting, he's fitting the run in that hole. And it's just a great play, but like, there's going to be plays that I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like philosophically, when we look at their defense by the end of the year, they're going to be every bit as good as they've been. Um, I wasn't sure if they would be that just because of attrition for their defense. They, Fred Warner, everybody looks fresh where they look like they're going to be that same defense once again, which is kind of wild. Five straight years of a top five defense is unheard of consistency and reduction. Right. Um and then, yeah, I think at the end of the day, there will be subtle differences that we'll notice that are specific to Wilkes, just like there were specific differences with D'Amico to Sala. But overall, we're going to see a lot of the philosophy be the exact same to me. I do have one thing that we hadn't spoke about before. Sure. I want to talk about the pass rush. Nick Bosa alluded to this pass rush potentially being even better than the 2019 pass rush. We've now seen it through one game. There were some complaints, spe specifically around the depth and around that second defensive end spot this offseason. Five sacks in week one. Talk to me about the pass rush and what you feel will happen this season. Yeah, I thought that was a nuts take. I'm sorry. The 2019 pass rush lost a lot of their depth to injury, but it was a special group. I mean, when you talk about Ford, Armstead, Buckner, and Nick Bosa, that's a special four. And... No disrespect, because I do think that they have a special three between Hargrave, Armstrong, and Bosa. But yeah, I think it kind of stops there. They have decent depth, and that depth really played well. 
versus the Steelers. I think they'll have right. a really good pass rush. Perhaps it's better than the last couple years, although I don't know. Arden Key and Charles Amenehue were two very, very good players that were underrated who played very well in 2021 and 2022, respectively. Um, I know Drake Jackson got the three-sack game, and everybody's talking about that, but those three sacks were not like, hey, Drake Jackson just whipped the tackle and went around and got the sack. It showed more. It was more about the guys he was rushing with, and he did a good job rushing with them and rushing as a unit, and he did a very nice job not re- not getting beyond the quarterback's depth and being able to peel off when the quarterback gets moved off of his spot, and he's very fast, and he was able to chase him down. But I don't know that I saw anything like exceptionally special yet from Drake Jackson as a pass rusher, though I've seen traits that he could eventually be a very, very top-level pass rusher. So we'll see. But I, for me, it's a little premature to say that D Ford was like a second, was a multiple time pro bowler. DeForest Buckner was. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I think a second team all pro in 2018. He was a pro bowler. Eric Armstead was always highly underrated and has been an excellent player for a long time. And he was one even in 2019. And then Nick Bosa has been special from day one. And then you talk about the Ronnie Blairs and those type of guys, DJ Jones, that was on the 2019 defensive line. That was just a very, very special defensive line. And I think we can acknowledge this is a very good one without going there because that, that was a 
hey, the team had so much cap room. That was their opportunity with young players. And they put together one of the nastier defensive lines in recent memory. Like it's one of the best defensive lines in NFL history. When you look at top to bottom, what it was when they started week one of 2019. No, I think that that defensive line certainly was amazing. And that's why every time that when we talked to a 40 about a 49ers defensive line, you look to replicate that. You look to replicate, you know, those four down linemen where you felt really, really strong about them. You could limit the amount of blitzing that you had to do because you knew you could get home by rushing four. I do think, though, I do want to give some praise, obviously, to the two interior guys. Nick Bosa had a, you know, I, I despite the zero sacks, I don't think that truly matters. It's still thought Nick Bosa, you know, made his impact on the game. But the two interior guys, I thought, were pretty, pretty strong in their debut, you know, together. I think that. Mark Armstead, um, you know, he led to the first Drake Jackson he was, sack. He was, he was outstanding there. in that game, by the way. But he didn't record anything on the stat sheet, but he was dominant in the run game in terms of his power. And then the first sack, right? I, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but he basically runs no, over exactly. two guards. It's a double team. He runs him over. He moves Kenny Pickett off his spot, and then Drake Jackson does a nice job running him down. If these guys are able to dominate the way they were, even with the rate that they were double teamed in terms of the big three, it's going to be a pretty special group. We don't have to necessarily compare it to, you know, the elite group of 2019, but I mean, it was a pretty strong performance. And again, you're, you're going to, I think this, this last performance, it showed a good amount about the 49ers and their way to respond early, but also maybe showcase that the Steelers might not be as good, at least on paper or, or roster wise, than uh, some might've indicated after their preseason kind of hype, you know, things like that. But I don't think that. How so? I don't think that. I don't think the Steelers are going to be a bad team this year. I think they'll look fine for the rest of their 16 games. They just ran into a buzzsaw, and I think that's what needs to be focused on. To me, it's not that, hey, we were all wrong. The Steelers suck. Maybe they do suck, but I don't believe that. I think it's just that the 49ers were really, really focused for a 10 a.m. start on the road cross country in what was supposed to be a hostile environment, which is still, in my opinion, a hostile environment, even though Niners fans kind of took it over. And they were just a buzzsaw. And they're capable of doing that. And when they do do that, you saw what they did to a pretty good team. They demoralized them. And it's more special 49ers. It's more impact 49ers. It's more 49ers are ready to go to me than it is, hey, the Steelers weren't, to quote Denny Green, they weren't who or to misquote Denny Green, they weren't who they thought they were. I think they are who we thought they were. The Niners didn't let them off the hook, though. Now, here's what I'll say in the point that I was trying to make. Personally, I'm not as sold on their offense as some others might be. I think that they're, they're, I think their team itself and the way that they'll be coached will allow them to have a 500-esque season this year. But their offense, I'm not sure... I'm, I'm asshole on their offensive line. You know, they made an, a, a, the addition of Isaac Sayamalo. I still think that it's somewhat of a shaky group, specifically on the edges, that it might not make Kenny, uh, Kenny Pickett as comfortable and have him make the growth that you kind of want him to in year two. I don't know how confident I am in that and their offense, and that's where I'm pointing to. But nonetheless, I think the 49ers had a very dominant performance in week one, and you couldn't really ask of much more from them. I think there's improvements, don't get me wrong, but this is what you wanted to see when you watched week one. I agree with that. I agree with that. It's not that I think they're going to be an exceptional offensive team either, but I don't think they're a bad team. A bad team, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have, like, I think they're going to play a lot. Like, for example, the Rams next week. If you want to go there, I think the Niners are going to, once again, dismantle the Rams. 
And I think what the Rams showed week one is that they're exceptionally well coached still. McVay and Raheem Morris both still always have right game plans on how they're going to stop teams. McVay does a really, really good job managing the game. And against teams that aren't like as talented as the 49ers and as well coached as the 49ers, like the Seahawks are good, but they're not that supreme talent where they just have superstars everywhere. Between the coaching and between how good Matthew Stafford is, the Rams are going to have a chance. But against the Niners, when you add the fact that their team speed is as good as the Rams, they're bigger and stronger than the Rams, um, and they're as well coached as the Rams on both sides as well, to me, they're just going to dismantle them because the talent discrepancy is going to be way too large. And I think that's it's a similar story with the Steelers. Like I think the Rams showed week one with a healthy Matthew Stafford, they can compete with a lot of the marginal teams in the NFC and perhaps put themselves in the playoff spot conversation and contention simply on the fact that they have Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald and they're really well coached. But against the top level teams like the Niners with that high end talent, I think the talent discrepancy will be too far. As long as the Niners are wired in the way they were against the Steelers, to me, it should look pretty similar because they are way bigger that they're bigger than the Rams. They're faster than the Rams. They're much more talented than the Rams. They have better football players just about everywhere. And to me, it's kind of that situation where Stafford can make a lot of really, really high level throws into tight windows with a little bit of time in the pocket. But I don't think he's going to have any time in the pocket. And I don't think that they're going to have even the tight windows that he had against the Seahawks. I think there's going to be nothing available for him. And it's just going to be that kind of game because the Rams are just overmatched in terms of talent right now versus the 49ers. I mean, I, I fired a tweet earlier today just looking at the odds. The 49ers are eight and a half point favorites against the Rams. I think that's the second or third highest deficit just because Buffalo is facing Vegas. That's pretty high. And then D uh, Dallas is facing the Jets. But eight and a half point favorites against a team that won 30 to 13 just shows you how well the 49ers are perceived and how, I mean, it's odds. But overall, this is a team that is going on the road again at Levi South. But to, uh, you know, in an environment where they are facing a team that just came off a 17 point win and they're favored by eight and a half. I think that the 49ers right now with their roster, it's it works well against the Rams. They also have the Rams number. And I mean, if I were to place a bet, it probably would be to cover, you know, and that's saying something given how wide the spread is against a team that just won. Yeah, the Rams team speed and how well they're coached gives a lot of teams problems. The issue is the 49ers are just as fast. They're just as well coached. They're bigger and they have more talent. Like I think that, you know, in other years, perhaps this rivalry, although the Niners have owned it has been maybe closer than people want to admit. Yeah. The Niners have blown them out the, a few times, but they've also won some very, very close games and the Rams won a close one in the NFC championship game. But I think the talent discrepancy has gotten too far between these two teams. And I can't imagine as good as Stafford played because Stafford really was unbelievable versus Seattle. McVay really is an awesome coach. I think they can do that against a lot of different teams. But in this case, I think it's just a far too big talent discrepancy to overcome. I think if the Niners lose, they beat themselves, which has been a common theme the last couple of years when the Niners do lose. But this team does look different because they were different week one than they've ever been. And so I'm going to give... I'm going to pretend that this consistency is going to remain. And I, I do expect them to go do exactly what they did um, to the Steelers, to the Rams. I do want to talk about 
probably the biggest matchup for the 49ers altogether. Kyle Shanahan knows it, and they've known it for a, a couple of years now. Aaron Donald versus that, you know, that right side of the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Right side faced a couple of issues in week one. And something that I, I was just curious because I was watching a bit of that Rams game prior to the 49ers game. And you would, or sorry, after the 49ers game, and I saw Aaron Donald in his alignments sometimes lining up out. Uh, you yeah, know, they'll line the him tackle. up on the edge. They'll line yeah. him up on the edge for sure. He'll line up and, with, over Colton McKivitz for sure. And I mean, I wanted to look at the stats. I mean, and Aaron Donald lined up over the tackle on 21, or sorry, 24 of his 41 reps. Um, you know, uh, that he that he has a defensive lineman in this game. Uh, and then one was outside of the tackles. So he had, you know, 25, over, around 60, 62% of his reps were over the tackle. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on that matchup, especially because yeah. they try and, you know, align them. They're, they're going to move, move them five. around everywhere, but I think the Niners' plan is going to be what it's always been. They're going to try to avoid obvious drop-back pass situations. The Rams have an advantage even with their dis talent discrepancy if they get into situations where they get the Niners to third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. Most out for most teams, that's a defensive advantage because you can rush four, you can play zone behind it, you can hopefully get to the passer, especially because most teams don't have strong pass blocking offensive lines. So that's a good situation for a lot of teams, right? I, I just think that we've seen the game plan. The Niners try to avoid that. Jimmy Garoppolo has been very efficient versus this football team the last two years. They are 4-0 in the regular season, and they don't do it throwing the ball 35, 40 times. They do it with a very balanced attack, using misdirection, and then Debo Samuel dominates. Christian McCaffrey dominated last year, and I expect that to happen. If the Niners do get into a situation where Aaron Donald's on Colton McKivitz and he's getting a good look at him and he's getting a good look at him at third down. Well, that's going to be a problem. I originally thought McKivitz had a lot stronger game than he had when I went back and watched the film. Like I, I thought it was really just a few plays that TJ Watt got him, but there were some missed assignments in the run game and right. stuff like run that. Game. I hope yeah. he plays better next week, but surely that's a very, very difficult matchup for anyone, let alone Colton McKivitz because Aaron Donald's one of the greatest players ever. Yeah, I mean, you're right in that case. And we pointed at it earlier when we talked about Debo Samuel. There are certain games where the 49ers will rely on Debo Samuel. And these Rams games have always been one of those, you know, where they try and amp up the physicality, take it to their division uh, rivals, especially, you know, when Jalen Ramsey was back on the right, team. Debo like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's no Ramsey to bully anymore. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers go ahead and call Debo Samuel's number again, you know, on a number of occasions, be it screens, be it runs out of the backfield, be it in the variety of ways that they like to use him, potentially see his volume, see an increase in this type of game where they're trying to wear down their opponent. Perhaps maybe they won't even get there. Cause again, we saw week one, how efficient right. just the bear, like it just looks so efficient with how they got the ball to him, how they got the ball to Ayuk, how they got the ball to CMC. Like Debo had a quieter game because he never got a big play in that game while the other two had a couple more big plays. But the way they were able to distribute the ball between the three was very, very effortless and seamless. It felt like all three of them felt a big part of the game. It would be CMC, Debo, Ayuk, CMC, Debo, Ayuk. And so I think it, it could be a similar kind of thing just when you look at how much more talented they are than the Rams. Where again, if things work and flow and Brock Purdy is playing the way he was, 
versus the Steelers, again, yeah, I, I think they should just walk all over them, and it, it shouldn't look difficult, and it shouldn't look like, oh, they're relying on Debo, they're relying on CMC, they're relying on Ayuk. It's just a natural flow of all three getting involved, and I think the final stats will be based on who gets the bigger plays, not necessarily who gets more targets, because I think they're all going to be around the same realm. Obviously, CMC will get the most touches, but I think they'll all be in the same re- – or Debo and Ayuk will be in the same realm of 8 to 10 targets. No, I, I think I agree with that. And, I mean, if, if the 49ers can execute the way that they did last week, if it's a sustainable formula, that's an issue. That is a big issue because then any talk you have about quarterbacks kind of goes out the window if they're able to have that level of sustainable offense. Yeah, to me, I mean, we have to get to week five before I really think a team right. can really affect the sustainable offense because Dallas's defense, to me, has a lot of favorable matchups versus this offense. Like, they actually have a chance. They have the team speed. They have the physicality to really give this offense issues, and that's because they have an excellent defense. But in the next few weeks, as long as the Niners execute, which is something we've said about this football team in the past, and they've kind of beat themselves – But as long as they do what they're supposed to do, and clearly there's something different about this team because they did what they're supposed to do week one, which they haven't done in the past, um, I I do think that, you know, it should look pretty easy and clinical because they're just that much more talented. I agree. What do you think, Rohan? You got anything more to say about the upcoming game? Anything you got going on? Anything that you've seen the last couple of weeks that you want to talk about? What's up with you? I mean, I'm glad that we can start watching film again. You know, this was the first film review. I did mine. I uh, just looked back at it yesterday. Glad you can know, you start getting back into the NFL groove because it's been a uh, preseasons there, but this is the first kind of real uh, groove into it. And I'm glad that uh, Nick Bosa signed his contract because I did say that the Steelers were going to win and then flipped it when, uh, because I said, if Nick Bosa signs, it's going to be a, a 49ers victory. So I'm glad that, you know, that happened. Otherwise, uh, would have been having to look back on myself because I think the 49ers easily win that game without Bosa as well. Oh, I, I agree. And, and to me, it's crazy because they were able to kind of get him the first perfect first game back to integrate him. He played a lot of snaps, but there was a lot of gaps between the snaps because of the five straight three and outs. He was able to get back into the groove of things, but they also were able to kind of taper him back through the end of the game because they were up by so much. It was kind of the perfect setup. And I think we all know that that's one of the best players in the NFL. And I think that he's going to be ready to go and we're going to see 16 and awesome games from him. I, I couldn't believe some of the commentary before he got paid. Like people were pretending like Nick Bosa isn't like, arguably the best defensive player in the sport of football and all of that, and that he didn't deserve to be the highest paid players. He absolutely deserved every penny he got. Um, and I, I don't, and I think that he will completely reflect that over the next 16 games. So, yeah. That discourse was wild to me. That was some of the craziest stuff this off season. And we've had a crazy off season before we got here. Anytime we see trade talk, anytime we see that kind of thing, you know, where impatience comes around extensions, that seems to be the case. This is funny. German Potter says, I'm your interior designer. Yeah. I, I I respect it, Rohan. It takes a real man to show a naked wall to the camera. Hey, this or is what real fans person, are going to have to be person. accustomed to this. For, for real, a little let bit, me amend that. Real person, not real man. Real person. <laughs> Base Spokane Niner fan says, Cowboys are being crowned as the most impressive win last weekend. If Kyle doesn't go conservative, do we have the most impressive win? I'm going to let you go. 
but I, I disagree with the Cowboys yeah. being the most impressive win. Go ahead. Most impressive win. I mean, it depends on the way that you look at it, right? I'm going to say this. I do believe that the Niners had the most – well, maybe – I don't know if you'll call it the most impressive win because of this, you know, the way – the second half wasn't as well as the first half. But, I mean, the way that it the way that it was executed, this was one of the most beautiful games that you could have watched in the first half at least. And then throughout the game, I mean, the 49ers still – like people think that they slowed down in the second half. They didn't allow a single point in the second half. Like the, the Steelers scored their seven points right in that – Maybe that one drive is the one where you can nitpick. Apart from that, they scored zero points. I know they got to the end zone a couple of times, but the 49ers, I mean, I, I still value that short, you know, uh, those short distance situations where you're able to shut them down on fourth downs. I value that still. And uh, I thought that this was on, a pretty Rohan. impressive win. Come on. To me, this is, I don't, okay, so there's two things. One, I'll, I'll say this. I, I tr I'm a homer. I am. I'm a 49ers fan. Obviously, everybody knows that. But I try to be mostly objective and be fair. The Niners offense looked way better than Dallas's offense in that game. And they That's were going fair. up against a much better defense than Dallas's offense. Two, the only reason people think Dallas's was the most impressive win is because they're obsessed with putting NFC East games as Sunday night football to start week one. We had no business watching that trash game as the Sunday night game, but they needed to put Dallas on Sunday night football. And because Dallas beat the Giants, they got to say Dallas had the most impressive win. Dallas looked really good. Dallas's defense is really good. I picked Dallas to win the NFC East this year. I'm pretty confident about that pick. But to me, what the Niners did going to Pittsburgh, early start, West Coast team going East Coast, tougher place to play than Giants Stadium. Um, I think Pittsburgh is a better team than the Giants too. And the fact that they went in there and blew them out and their offense did what their offense did and their defense did what their defense did. Yeah, Dallas had a good win, but to me, it's not even close. The Niners were clinical in every aspect except their kickoff coverage. They had by far, to me, the most impressive win of week one. And again, I'm trying not to be a homer here, but but this one to me is egregious. It's all about that star, man. They want to promote the star and all of that. It's it's unbelievable. You see, I was conservative. I just sent you up the, the alley-oop for the slam dunk. You know, you can go ahead and take that one home. But I mean, I, I, I do think the 49ers had the most impressive win. Yeah, I actually I was surprised because I thought Dallas's offense would look a little more efficient, a little better. Mm -hmm. a little, I, they ran the ball fine, like Brian Schottenheimer, Mike McCarthy. They manage the game better than they get credit for, and they're better coaches than they get credit for. McCarthy, especially, like yeah, his flaws get exacerbated. But you look at his overall record; you don't have that kind of success in the NFL without being good at what you do. I'm sorry, but the Niners offense looked a lot more clinical, a lot scarier, a lot more explosive than Dallas's offense. And the Niners defense looked every bit as good as Dallas's defense, let alone the fact that it wasn't a divisional opponent that you get pent up for. You had to go cross country against a very well coached disciplined team in Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers. And you did what they did. Sorry, Dallas, you don't get the most impressive win just because they put you on Sunday night football. Gosh, at least they didn't put Bears Packers on Sunday Night Football, though. I'll tell you that they usually do that week one. That one's unbelievable. That one was a not a great one. We'll say that you out on Justin Fields yet? I mean, that offensive system is not great. Justin Fields did not have a good game. There's a lot there. I'll say this though. I mean, Justin Fields, you got 16 more games. Otherwise, you're done. You're you're done in Chicago because 
if they don't make much traction this year, I think if they go under 500 even, and there's a chance that they can go ahead and select a quarterback, maybe not even with their own pick, but or maybe trade up. Carolinas, or trade up because they're going to have two first round picks. They're going to take that opportunity because Ryan Poles needs to amp it up after, you know, the, the way that the last few off seasons have gone. I agree. I look, I was a Justin Fields fan coming out of college, and ever since I've I seen him too. in the NFL, I've become progressively less of a fan, less of a fan. We hit rock bottom watching that week one game. There's issues with their offensive system, but their Not offensive pretty. system feels like they're calling plays for a quarterback that they have absolutely no faith in, and I think their issues stem from there. And you're right. He's got 16 games to turn it around, I guess. I'm he's I, it's stupid to write him off after week one, but things are looking ominously bad there, like really, really bad. Yeah, I mean that would easily um if I if I were to be a a Bears beat writer, easily would have been an F in terms of performance for Justin Fields in week one. Unfortunately, yeah, try an F minus. It's not yeah. just the throws he missed and all of that. Did you, like Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, and. uh uh, he's got to pay for their cry cryotherapy for the next couple of days. And the fact that they got to recover after all the hits he threw them into my, our boy, Jimmy G was doing that too on Sunday, <laughs> a little bit to Demonte Adams and Jacoby Myers. Now, not the Kareem Jackson hit. That was a little bit bang, bang. He did throw them low and kind of yeah. away from it, but he did throw them into some licks in that game. Hey, Jimmy G got a win. At least Jimmy G got a win. He got a fourth quarter comeback too. Did you see how he threw the red zone pick? <laughs> At the end of yeah. the third quarter so that he can yeah. get the fourth quarter comeback. I had NFL red zone up. They were showing that game. And then we saw the, the you know, the fourth quarter scramble. And, um, oh, yeah. That, yeah. That was, that was a, a clutch that scramble. Was a that was good stuff was, from him. That was a clutch scramble. Yeah. I was add up those fourth quarter, you know, those fourth quarter comebacks. That's what uh, Jimmy G does. All he does is win. It's still continuing. Oh, 100%. Anybody else that stood out to you week one? I mean, there were a couple of performances. I mean, a lot of people obviously discourse on Josh Allen. Uh, two, two, two of that game was fun. I actually watched a lot because I have um, Tua and uh, Tyree Kill on my fantasy team. Oh, lucky you! In my college league, so you know, uh, it was a little. It was Talked a lot scared. of crap to the buddies. Yeah, um, because someone traded me Tyree Kill, and he's my roommate. So, uh, what's your fan- what's your fantasy team name? Um, well, I got two of them. Uh, one is IR squad because my team was fully injured last year. And then the <laughs> second one is AR 15 QB one because I drafted Anthony Richardson and then Tua was going to back him up. I'm going to have to change that because I traded for Tyree kills and started Tua, and, uh, clearly that's a solid one. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's funny. I, I will say as I'm a known to a hater, I've been a, to a detractor to a doubter. Tua looked unbelievable. I, that I really need to. That was probably my best hate. Yeah, oh, yeah. I agree. I need to just remove. I, I, I was wrong on Tua. Sorry, Tua. I was a hater. I was wrong. I take my L. You were right. Uh, yeah, it's tough, but he looked good. Mike McDaniel looks good. Their defense, Fangio, with some nice schemed up clutch blitzes. That was nice. Sean Tuber says, "I, th- I thought the same thing, man. I thought I they should have taken well, Fields, so, but you yeah. know what, Fields." And I, I've said this, regardless of what went wrong with Lance or whatever, Fields would have been the wrong pick, too, in so many ways. And I've been yeah. saying this just about since he's been drafted. To me, of the three available, the most correct pick was Mac Jones. Mac Jones, and yeah. Are, did they really miss out by not picking Mac Jones? I think some people would say they did, didn't. 
I think Mac Jones is a nice quarterback. I also think Purdy's a nice quarterback, but I also like Purdy. Like as a fan, I can root for Purdy a lot more than I can for Mac Jones and his kind of just the fact that he throws those sideline tantrums is kind of off-putting is just a pure fan. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers, you know, quarterback is going to always be a discussion, but you can't say too many are going to complain right now with Brock Purdy as their guy. over. Yeah, it and his athleticism. I mean, Brock Purdy's movement, I, 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 they're going to call it underrated athleticism every year. It's real athleticism. His movement causes problems. I mean, he's shaking Minka Fitzpatrick out of his shoes. And I think, um, you know, the Steelers' defense isn't exactly slow. They're not the fastest defense, but they're not slow. They look slow trying to run down Brock Purdy. His speed and quickness gave them problems. And I think the only defense that we're going to see with the team speed to actually run this guy down and give that Niners problems is Dallas. Dallas Mm -hmm. is the only team with the athletic enough defensive line to run this guy down. And the creativity he has outside of the pocket, one of my biggest pet peeves, is that creativity and off-structure plays are automatically assigned to quarterbacks who have the quote-unquote traits to deliver them. So if you're big, big arm and athletic, people immediately attribute that to the fact that you're going to make plays off schedule. I think there's an innate skill and creativity to actually make plays off schedule. I don't think that that's a tra- I don't. I think that's its own trait. That's not about the physical, tangible gifts you have. To me, Justin Fields is a great primary example. Jalen Hurts as well. They're terrible at creating opportunities to throw off structure. Jalen Hurts EPA per play is not very good when he's outside of the pocket and has to throw the football. Justin Fields is very good at creating space to run when he gets outside of the pocket, but he's not very creative in terms of being able to create throws when he gets outside of structure. Brock Purdy is able to do that with lesser than physical traits. I think it's somewhat of a special skill because he just has a playmaking knack and instinct. It is a little bit of an it quality, but it's an instinct nonetheless to make the correct football play. And then, of course, he has unbelievable football awareness. And so I think those those are the skills that really just sep- are separating him and allowing him to thrive the way he is at the level he is at thriving at right now. No, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, that this is why I said there's still room to improve for Purdy. A lot of people, you know, shut that down. I think that all the things that he had last year can still be improved upon eye manipulation, um, you know, accuracy on some of those uh, in-breaking routes uh, over the middle, those kind of things. I think there's still room for improvement, and he's already whatever you, you want to call him. I mean, I, I don't – you can debate whatever his ceiling may be, but it's cool to see some of the things that he put in week one. And I mean, I think that that's the, that's the start of what could be a pretty solid season barring injury. Yeah, I think the ceiling conversation after a while, it's tired. Like, how good is he really? It's tired. What is he doing for their offense? Is he doing the right things? Is he not doing the right things? That's the questions that we should be talking about as Niners content creators. Okay, how does he stack up with the rest of the NFL? How does he stack up versus this game and this game versus that guy? Like, we don't know that. They're going to play the football games and we're going to find out, but... Let's take a look at week one. Did he do his job for this football team? And he absolutely did. Are there moments last year where he didn't do his job? Surely. But there were a lot of other moments that he did do his job at a high level. And right now at this moment, there's nothing to complain about with what he did week one. He just does the basic necessity things at a very high level. Um, His confidence, his poise, those kinds of things also I don't think get enough credit because then we're getting to intangible things that are very hard for us to quantify or project. But clearly there's a quality that rubs off on his teammates and stuff like that. And he did an excellent job week one. And if he, as long as he does that with consistency, 
I don't think there's much of a reason to have a conversation about is he good enough or is he this or is he that because he's playing with all of these weapons and as long as he's doing his job with these weapons, it frankly shouldn't matter. We only talked about it with Garoppolo because he didn't do his job in the highest leverage moments. He would miss execute as the quarterback of this football team. And if Purdy does that, we'll probably talk about it too. But if he doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's better than this guy or if he's better than that guy or if he's better than this guy because the Niners don't necessarily need the same thing that every other team needs at quarterback. No, I I think so too. And I mean, that's where I like your characterization of it. It's don't try and relatively compare quarterbacks in different areas that it's tough to compare and really it's just setting up for negative discourse the way that you should do it. And I'm not trying to limit anybody to a system quarterback, but how well do you truly operate in the role that you're expected to do? And of course, quarterbacks are going to get bumped up for their ability to do more than Mm -hmm. what they're expected to do. And you can argue Purdy does that with the way that he's creative, with the way that he makes off schedule plays on top of what he's expected to do. But the reason that you don't necessarily see as much of that compared to other quarterbacks is because what he's expected to do is capable of being done within the pocket. And it's capable of being done early on. Yeah, I 100% agree. Titus Buller asks, what did I think of Burrow oh, getting bottled up? I, I saw half the game, but it's hard to watch me for me to watch other games when I'm watching Niners games. And it looked like Cleveland's pass rush, the wet conditions. It looked like a crappy game for offense in general. I plan to watch that game sometime before next week. So maybe I can give you a better characterization before then. I'll be on with Larry and Jesse right here tomorrow. Make sure you tune in for that. And then what did I think of Cam Akers' stat line? I think that that's the worst take I've ever had, that Cam Akers at one point was better than Elijah Mitchell. Cam Akers is not that guy. There's a lot of issues with Cam Akers. Kyron Williams is the back, to me, that looked a lot better on the Rams. And, yeah, that that's just what I think of it. Pretty disgusted about it. Pretty disgusted that I ever had a lot of faith in Cam Akers. Um, but, hey, when you swing on guys with physical traits – Sometimes they do what Cam Akers is doing. I mean, when I read that stat line on ESPN Fantasy app, um, it's gross. I, I, I had to go back and really see what the hell happened. My buddy was praying yeah. he would score one of those touchdowns, man, because he was about to be a net negative in fantasy with I mean, opportunity. Cam, 29 yards on 22 carries is you can make whatever argument you want on the offensive line. That is pretty darn gross. Pretty, pretty bad. The offensive line isn't good, man, but Kyron Williams yeah. didn't look that bad. No, no. And uh, he had a, he had himself a pretty good game. I mean, there was talk, you know, he could be, you know, the third down guy. Or he could be having whatever role, but he looked pretty solid. And there that's was talk, um, there, was, there yeah. was talk last year that McVay loved him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. When uh, he had an injury, I believe, um, that mm-hmm. sidelined him at the beginning of the year, whereas that's why he had a slower start to the year, that kind of thing. Yeah, for me anyway, the Rams offense, I, I did watch that game. That was the first game I watched on Monday. Um, I watched it live, and then I watched the All-22. Wow, Stafford played. like That was one of the better just performances purely from a quarterback with what he had around him and the throws he made. It was one of uh, – I mean, yeah, I'm a Stafford fan, but that was an unbelievable performance. But – Outside of that, I don't know what about the Rams is going to challenge the Niners. I'm I'm really serious. 
Maybe Stafford makes a few wow throws, but they're going to be so overmatched in every aspect. And even receivers aren't good. Even when it comes to Stafford, right? The 49ers have found a way to game plan around, uh, you know, his strengths and find a way to bottle that up by all the throws, man. Yeah. They make him make difficult throws from tight pockets and stuff like that. In, In the NFC Championship game, he did do that after they were down 10. Like, Everybody talks about the tart play. The whole shot he hits versus cover two to Odell Beckham, the very, very next play after the tart play, far hash, whole shot, cover two, whole shot, that Jimmy Ward gets called for a 15-yard penalty added onto it is a ridiculous throw from a tight pocket, and he makes a bunch of those later in that game. But that was with Cooper Cup there. That was with a little better offensive line. They had Odell Beckham, who was very good at against beating against at beating man coverage at the time. Their defense was a lot better. That was a different football team. Stafford's fully capable, but it's just one of those things where he's going to go against a buzzsaw defense with basically nothing around him. And yeah. You got a score prediction before we head on out? I hate doing this because I jinx the 49ers every time I pick them to win big. I guess I think that I, I fully admitted that was part of my thinking in picking the Steelers because then when I get really, really stuck in on, they're going to lose. They also win when I stay fairly neutral, then I don't really get wrapped into what ends up happening. Like when I pick them to win big and they lose, it's extra devastating. The bears game last year was like that. And then when Mm -hmm. I pick them to win, lose and they win, it's extra satisfying because it's like, yes, I doubted them. And then that adrenaline of like, they even proved me wrong is like such a good thrill as a fan. But I'll give you like 30 to 7, similar kind of thing, 27 7. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I just Good don't now. know how the Rams are going to score in this football game, man. Unless the Niners just turn it over and fall apart and sit down and do that. Like, what are the Rams, what, what are the Rams going to do on offense? I don't, I'm, well, we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see on Sunday. That's, that's, that's my answer to that. <laughs> That is the correct answer, everybody. That's Rohan Chakravarti. You can find him on 49ers Web Zone and on YouTube at Rohan Chakravarti. Thank you for joining us. This was really, really fun. I will be back tomorrow streaming with the great Larry Kruger and Jesse Naylor. We will be streaming at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. We will be streaming during the Thursday night game. If you want to chill with us, talking Niners, Rams, all of that stuff while you're watching Eagles, Vikings, Please do so. I will be back tomorrow. Rohan, thank you so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.